Thank you, Robert, for coming on our show today. How are you doing, buddy? I'm good. Thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity to, you know, talk, chat, share our experiences, and hopefully, like, everyone that's listening and watching can learn something today. Amazing. So I know earlier, I think you, or yesterday, you had an uh, episode on your, what is it called? Area of, I don't want to go. Area, area of, of electronic. Oh, yes. that's the way he says it all the time, too. <laughs> he says it a little much better than I did. <laughs> yeah. Yes, for Area of Electronics, where did this idea come from? All right, so a quick rundown with, you know, AOE for short. Uh, Area Electronic is something that I run now with my partner and colleague, Aries, also known as like Axie Music or Axie. And she originally was involved uh, with like a platform called Tractivist which is, uh, you know, a Filipino-American guy named Richie, who is, he's like a Swiss army knife of everything when it comes to, you know, Asian-American awareness, uh, music, events, history. And he's been archiving and collecting, basically a collection of stories and everything about Asian America. And they had a show on Dash Radio, which is the platform that AOE's on uh, originally. And I didn't know him at the time. And I was still talking to Aries as friends. And through this process, I got exposed to Tractivist and I eventually became part of their team. And so, you know, at that time, which was like, you know, a couple of years ago, they focused like primarily on, you know, hip hop, R&B. And I brought the dance music element because I've been a passionate raver uh, and I love dance music for a long time. And, you know, I just kind of like was very interested in like Asian American awareness. I don't think I was as informed and passionate or like, you know, educated as I am now. So before I was like, okay, it's cool. But, you know, as I volunteered more, they did like events in public and, you know, they kind of like, you know, Toki Monster and Far East Movement, those guys who've been kind of pushing that way for a long time, they're like associated and ran many events for them out here in LA. And so it's what kind of like events did you guys like host? Like, was it more like volunteering kind of things or like food, food stuff for like, say, homeless people? Or is it just kind of specifically targeting like maybe like the Asian community? Definitely music. So music. Gotcha. I was an activist, you know, at that time. I mean, still now it's all about music. And that's where I got connected with Richie, which is activist. And through that, you know, I was on the team for just a short period of time. Um, and I think through that experience, uh, they knew that like we were bringing a lot of dance music and then over time it was like getting too hard to kind of balance both like the hip hop and then dance music because the demographics are kind of different. Uh, you know, some people might not necessarily like EDM, um, but you know, they like hip hop and vice versa. So through this, uh, basically he like asked me and I was like, oh, are you two, me and Aries, interested in creating a show? And that's where I was like, yo, this is something I, I've always wanted to do. And I've always like shared music back in high school and like growing up as a youth, like I was the guy that like burned CDs or like, you know, make people mixes and stuff. Um, did you but, make a mix for your like girlfriend back in the day on like a CD? I, I did. <laughs> yeah, I could feel, I could feel that you did that. Yeah, I could feel it. You know, like <laughs> day or some, you know, it was like, Hey, like, these tracks remind you of us or of you and like show I got your taste or something like that. Um, but I think the main point behind all this is that at that time, I was not really 
down. I was scared, to be honest. If it wasn't for Aries, who is the mastermind behind the production side, because she's the one, you know, who's really good at Ableton. Um, I'm the one that's digging mostly. I do the curation and the research on the interviews for the artists and stuff. So she told Richie Tractivist that we're down or I'm down to host. So she was like giving you the permission of you like, no, me and Robert are going to do this. We're going to do it. Yeah. So that's how it happened. Yeah. She basically just was like, Robert says, yes, he's down to do this. When in reality, like I was very hesitant and I didn't even really get a chance to really express my, I guess, hesitation. But she knew that like it was what I wanted to do. She just... I'm the kind of person, I guess, if thrown into a fire, I kind of react better that way. Because if I sit back and think about it too much, uh, who knows? I probably wouldn't be doing it right now. <laughs> were you, like, growing up, were you always like that? Like, kind of stood back a little bit until, like, maybe someone kind of gave you that little push. Like, hey, like, maybe you should do it. Or, like, just, like, hit here. Put you in that fire. Yeah, I'm going to be… kind of just… Mm-hmm. Yeah, honestly, I, a lot of you are surprised when I say this, but I'm actually a pretty shy person. You know, like, despite how I may be talking right now and whatnot. And, you know, I've definitely, like, opened up a lot more over the years growing up and just kind of, like, giving less fucks. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I feel like as we get older, we just kind of stop caring about what other people think. Um, mm. And, you know, as, as you have grown as a person, right, what helped you grow? Like, what's the biggest thing that helped you grow? Like, has, like, AOE helped you grow? Like, was it music, being a piano? Like, you mentioned you were a piano teacher yeah. at one time. Like, what helped you grow the most? I think one of the best advice I got growing up, or even now, like, with friends and stuff, is just that uh, staying uncomfortable, you know? I think every uncomfortable moment in my life, despite how it felt at that point in time, when you look back, every game-changing moment in my life was something very uncomfortable. And that's something I'm trying to embrace more as I keep pushing forward is that like, I I now strongly believe that the success of someone is largely dependent on how many uncomfortable conversations you're willing to have. So that that includes like uncomfortability with your family, like with like your partner, with your friends, like being able to like say something that kind of gives you like a pit in your stomach, right? Like, is there a conversation yeah. or like a moment that has stuck out to you the most the, like the last year? Because, you know, we're in such a special time now, right? I think, uh, you know, even with AOE, music is not something coming from, you know, my Asian background. Parents don't usually support simply because there's a lot of like instability that's usually tied with being in the creative field, whether it's like, you know, music, art, movies, entertainment, uh, you never really know, right? So that was definitely like one of the most uncomfortable conversations I had to have. And I had to prove it. You know, you can say all the, you can talk all the talk, but it was until like the show aired and I showed them, hey, this is legit. This platform is, you know, good. And I'm here really kind of like influencing people and educating people, enlightening them, whatever it is through music, um, that's when they were like, okay, like, fine. We- it was like that moment when that happened though, like when they like, hey, Robert, that shit was good. <laughs> I'm listening to this every Friday and Saturday. Like, did you feel some type of way or like, did you feel like, all right, like now that I've accomplished this or like gotten their approval, now I can like put in more effort, more time to make it an even bigger thing? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's, I think it's still an ongoing thing, you know, because my parents are definitely like, you know, older and they're more conservative, they're traditional, right? So my way of actually kind of easing into this was what I did before AOV, which was being a music teacher. Because music teaching, 
you know, is something that like all Asians tend to, tend to have tend to do. You know, like I grew up classically trained, so it was kind of my way of paying it back because my parents understood that part. Because when when they took when my dad took me to piano class every week, he gets that it's very straightforward. You know, but when you're talking about like dance music or you know, artist management, touring, and all these other things. It's a whole new world, and it's really hard to even explain to someone that's not really exposed to that space. I don't know if that makes sense. But, you know, um, yeah, that's the probably the prime moment was when I started getting artist interviews. That's when it was starting to get, like, really real, especially when I got bigger, you know, notable names like Elefante or Kashmir um, and... Just pushing this uh, Asian American awareness thing because I think my parents are proud of that, that I am sticking true and kind of hoping to continue this uh, cultural type of like, I don't know, what, I don't know what the word is, but cultural, like sort of pride. Yeah. 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 There pride, you go. Right? So, Evan, mm-hmm. how do you push that Asian American narrative within your show? Because I, I listen a lot. So, what's the biggest way you push it? Uh, I mean, with curation and definitely like just, I have a very complicated view on this actually, because, you know, there's people that are very outspoken and I'm going to be careful when I say these things because I don't want to like, you know, come out the wrong way. But usually there's people that are very outspoken and they want the entire thing to be just Asian American and like, hey, like every track needs to be allowed expression of who we are, what we do. And at the same time, because it's Asian America, it's a little complicated where I believe if you do your job right, and if you can stand out and hold your ground, people will see that you're Asian. You don't have to really say it. And I'm not saying don't say it, uh, because I think that's still very important to speak up. But I'm not out here you know, telling everyone, like, this is the best Asian American dance music radio station. I'm just out here saying this is quality radio station. But if you look at me and you look at the people that are running it and who I interview, it should tell you more than enough if you can put two and two together. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. pretty true. Um, mm. Is that how, so for example, some of your notable people that you've interviewed, like Elefante and Kashmir, right? Or Kashmir, yeah. is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. There are a lot of lessons that can come out of that. And so when you're interviewing these people, what is something that you always try to get out of those interviews and take away from those interviews, you know? Oh, yes. So, man, interviewing people has taught me so much. I think it's one of my favorite things to do for the show or, from, you know, I've taken from the show. Like you would say, like the golden nugget, right? That yes. I've learned all the interviews. Dude, Gio always says that. <laughs> He's like, this is the golden nugget. <laughs> yeah, in my opinion, honestly, is I'm most impressed by the perseverance and the idea that there's absolutely no such thing as overnight success. And I think... What I like to take away from, I think Elefante said this, was that there's no formula. There is actually no exact journey or roadmap that like an already established artist can give you to succeed. So if that's the case, then it really comes down to your mentality, right? And, you know, I, I interviewed an artist. Uh, he, he runs a collective called Soul Food. And there's Soul Food Music Collective out here in Southern California. And his name is Ramon Peng. And he said something that really struck a chord with me, which like, I think is important for everyone to hear whether you're doing anything, is that you got to give yourself permission to be trash. Mm. So what does that mean? That means that 
there is nobody who was great at something that didn't suck. <laughs> Everybody was at- yeah. So like off the rip, no one has ever done mm-hmm. like you know, mm-hmm. everything is starts from ground zero, no matter what. Like everyone goes through like those experience of struggles and like trying to get to a point where like they're happy about. And you don't want to rush that process and it takes time. And I think people have to see that or realize that no one, like you guys said, no one is an instant like famous person. It takes time. You you have to put in the work to get there, essentially. Yeah, you know, like taking your responsibilities seriously, but not yourself. So is that like saying, like just allow yourself to like fuck up and just laugh about it because you fucked up? Yeah, it's… Yeah, okay. okay. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's like, um, you know, it's, it's also an ego thing, man. Honestly, sometimes it's really hard to ask for help and to just admit, like, you know what? I'm I'm just not that good right now. And it's okay. That's like a really hard thing to say. Cause you know, for me, I can count the I can count like there's so many times where I, I was this close to not doing AOE anymore. Uh, because I felt like I never thought I would be in front of a mic. I hated hearing my own voice. I didn't think I had what it takes to do outreach and really like, I was kind of scared. I'm gonna be honest. I was really scared to get on a call with an artist that I've been listening to for a long time. And like, I hope I don't mess up the interview and all these things. But as, as it just like kept doing it, I was like, everyone goes through this and it is what it is, man. (laughs) Robert, it just kind of shows like how far you've personally grown. You know, like you said, like when you first started, you were nervous about things. You you were kind of scared. You were always kind of like, what is that saying? Like always having like back like thoughts of like giving up. Right? Did you have like a mentor who kind of helped you get to this, or like helped you improve, or did you like kind of just practice, practice, practice? Definitely both. both. Definitely both, man. I think it's really important to surround yourself uh, with the right people. I think Geo, you know, and I have talked about this before off the record is that you know maybe before I wasn't as surrounded by creatives or like, you know, hustlers, people who really just kept going because, you know, you can choose what kind of lifestyle you want, right? You can be comfortable, take the quote unquote easy way or the stable way out and, you know, get a, just go do something that's just very cookie cutter, I would say. Like has a roadmap. It's very simple. But in creative fields, it's very hard. So, you know, I've never been more surrounded by creatives than I am now. And I think that's helped a lot. So to really shout out some people, I guess, you know, Tractivist, which is Richie, he's the one that really put me onto this. And then, you know, my friends now, and obviously Aries, which is Axie, she helped tremendously with a lot of mentality and just throwing me into the fire many, many times. Um, and, you know, you guys, at, having me even just talk about this is like, I, it's like therapy right now. <laughs> Thank you. Welcome. Welcome to the couch, man. We're, we're all virtual. We're on the virtual couch right now. Don't worry. Um, so when, so you mentioned that like you had to surround yourself with a certain type of person, a type of people, right? How did you start doing that? So when did, what was the before and now what's the after? Before I... I was in the suburbs. So I originally am from, you know, it's called the Inland Empire. It's Chino Hills. You know, it's, you know, I don't mind. It's very relaxing. It's chill. It's family oriented. You know, you're usually there for, you know, if you have a family, there's great schools there, farmland, animals, parks. Dude, I can, I can totally relate to you because I, I grew up in Irvine, which is very, very similar to Chino Hills. Like yeah. all you really do is it's a bubble. I told you this all the time. Like Irvine is literally a bubble. Like you don't have to leave 
you literally have everything like school's great there. It's farmland space or it used to be farmland. Now it's a little bit more like gentrified and everything. But uh-huh. I totally agree with you, man. Like it just, it's just like that family vibe. And sometimes mm-hmm. it gets, I don't know if you agree with me, but sometimes it gets very, very slow. And that's mm-hmm. kind of partially why I personally left and came to like that's eventually why, New York that's City. That's why a lot of people leave. Yeah. And it, it really just depends on what you want. You know, it's, I know plenty of friends that, never left and they started a family and they're on their second kid and they're, they're really happy. And yep. I, I can't take that away from them, right? <laughs> but you know, if you're trying to do something like entertainment or something that really just needs to put you in the city. That's why when I first came out to LA, it was actually like a culture shock and which can probably lead into, you know, how like I really value East Coast people or just city people. I think even just you know, between city and the suburbs, it's such a different type of vibe. I had to adjust. I had to think quicker and just hustle, really. Like, it teaches you to, I mean, I guess the benefit from coming from that kind of place is that we know how to relax, I guess. We know how to chill and just, like, take it down a notch. We're like, like, people, like, when I, like, so I work in New York City and people are like, dude, you have that chill vibe from me. I'm like, yeah, I, I came from California. It's just, like, where we grew up and we're just, like, yeah, we don't take things too seriously. And I think that's the main, like, huge difference between New York City and, like, you know, say, like, the suburbs. New York City, like, people are, like, just very, like, upfront about things. While, like, you know, the suburbs, people just, like, look at you if something happens, don't really say much. Just kept Yeah. So, that's, I mean, for me, I think just coming from a slower-paced background, it's I'm learning to balance both right now and definitely trying to just keep keep the keep it moving, you know, with everyone around me being like it's very inspirational, man, like being in the city. It, I used to just come out here only on the weekends. It was like a thing you do on a Saturday or Sunday, like, hey, I'm going to spend a day out here in little Tokyo or downtown L.A. and just experience. It's like tourism, you know, but now that I live out here, it's just it's like a dream. Yeah, I think every day, I'm super grateful, man. I'm super, super grateful, you know, that I can wake up and be in this kind of environment. I love it, which is why, like, I haven't really spent time out in East Coast. I've only been in New York once, and this was just for, like, a weekend, like, during the winter. So I never really got to experience, like, with my own eyes what what the East Coast is really about. And, you know, a lot of friends that I have, you know, they're from New York, you guys, Boston, um, and I just love talking to you guys because it's just a, the energy is just very, like, I don't know what the word, just it's hardworking, man, and honest. I know you mentioned how, like, it was kind of like a cultural shock, right? Did it take time for you to kind of eventually get used to it? Or was it just kind of like, oh, I can see myself in this lifestyle, and then just kind of instantly, like, your mentality kind of just switched to that, you know, going, 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 grinding, 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 just because you're surrounding yourself with so many creatives, you know, just because they're just trying to create so many different kind of things. And you're just, you're just like, oh, you're in shock and awe to it, you know? Yeah, definitely not instant, man. Uh, I would say I thought I was switched. I thought I was pushing. In reality, it wasn't, that, that wasn't even enough yet. You know what I'm saying? Was there was, times where like you wanted to go back to like Chino Hills? I thought so. And then I went back and I realized, nah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally agree with you, man. It's like, I, like in New York, like sometimes you just got to leave. I leave. And go to Cali for like a week. And I'm like, all right, I can stay here for another week. And after two weeks, I'm like, I need to get out of here. Like, I just need to go yeah. back to New York and grind again and not sit on my butt and chill at the beach. <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean that like I don't like the slower pace. You know, like I, I know 
if I wasn't living here in California, which I find it to be hard. I don't, I can't really see myself living else anywhere else. But if I had to choose, I probably would try the East Coast for a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I was going to ask, like, you know, since you have grown up in the West Coast your whole life, do you mm-hmm. think you'll move, like, maybe in the next year or so? Or do you still have, like, a lot of things that you want to accomplish first in L.A.? Uh, I don't think I will forever be in LA, to be honest. And this can even get global. You know, I could see myself actually taking some time uh, in Asia. You know, I am Taiwanese American. So. Hey, me too. Nice. <laughs> Taiwanese pride. Woo. <laughs> literally the, the nation with like barely any COVID. Like my friend literally went there two months ago and I see her clubbing today. And I'm like, I DM'd her. I was like, I am so jealous right now. And it never stopped. It never (laughs) stopped. But, you know, I could see myself spending time in Asia, which I did. You know, I didn't go back to Taiwan until like three or four years ago. And that was after like 20 plus years. That was your first time. That was your first time ever. Like, uh, it was like probably my second time. My first time was when I was like four years old. And I didn't go back until I was like 25, 26. (laughs) And I ended up spending 10 months there. And I, I was te- yeah, and I was teaching English and music at a private high school around Taiwan, and that taught me so much. That's where I came back, and right after I came back, I was very in touch with my roots, my family. I understood my family a lot more now uh, because I am the only one born here in America out of my entire family. So then, what, how did your family end up in the U.S.? Did they just decide to move one day? They uh, decided to come because of me. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, so and there's like a kind of like an age gap between me and my siblings. I have I have three sisters and uh it's like nine years, eleven years, and thirteen. Wow. Are you the youngest one? I'm the youngest one. <laughs> wow, big difference. <laughs> do, do, do they still like kind of baby you around a little bit because of the age gap? <laughs> yeah, like three moms and then your real mom. Three <laughs> <laughs> mom and then your real mom. <laughs> That's crazy. But you know, I'm super blessed. They're they were nice. Like uh they're really nice sisters. You know, they could have uh-huh. easily know like kind of more you know pick on me and stuff but you know uh our family unit is very positive i come from like they're very christian and so there's a lot of love a lot of you know plur <laughs> i haven't heard that word in a long time yeah man that, <laughs> yep that's still something um, you know, I, I still strong i stand behind too mm, yeah peace love unity and what's the last what's our respect respect peace love unity and respect, respect. Cause that's what you do when you trade candy at a festival. That's right. Whatever yeah. the thing is, it, it's weird. I I didn't start going to music festivals until I was like a little older, and I was like, "What is what is this?" Because I love yeah, it. You, you can you, you can do it next time when we go to EDC Vegas. Oh, I got yeah, you, dude. man. I'll I'll make you custom ones. I'll, I'll take that it. any day, man. Um, what were we talking about? Oh yeah. So when it came to you know how you're talking about how you taught music and you taught kids piano and you were in Taiwan, right? Mm-hmm. So then, how did you end up? going to Taiwan and like how did that did you just decide one day to go to Taiwan like how did that happen yeah I did and it was very kind of like spontaneous actually I think it was just I was hitting an age where I was kind of having like an identity crisis you know to be honest I didn't really know like I just never understood why sometimes my family or my parents wouldn't get me and then I and vice versa and I think I came to a point where I was like, okay, I need to go back. Given that, like, now that I have a more mature brain, I'm older, I can go back and fully, like, soak it in like a sponge and understand where I come from. And I think that's so important. And that's, going to this Taiwan thing is actually right before I came back and got in touch with Tractivist. 
-hmm. So it was like, that's the sequence of events was that I went back for 10 months and I got so like engulfed in the work culture there. Asian, Asia work culture is so like hard in the paint. Wait, can you describe it a little bit? Because I what never is, worked in yeah, in no, yeah. before. I've never, they, I've worked in the Philippines before, but I don't know if it's different in like East Asia, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, every morning you had to be at the school at like 7 a.m. So I wake up at like six something, get ready, get there at seven. Uh, I don't even know when class start, like 7.30 or 8. And you go all the way until like 5 p.m. And and that's me. That's my schedule. And that's every day, you know, five, six days a week. Sometimes they have weekend school. But for the students, right, um, they have night class. It's like tutoring. And they do that from like, they probably have like one hour of dinner and then they resume at like 7 p.m. And they do it until 10 p.m. So every so Robert, day. Was yeah. this like a is this, was this like a private music school that you taught at? It was a private high school. High school, okay. Yeah, yeah. And I was just part of the like language and music department. So then, how did you find the job? Like, did you apply online? Uh, it was a family friend. So I had like a family friend who was already a teacher at the school, and then because, and I didn't expect to spend ten months in Taiwan. I went back, uh, hoping to just spend a month, and then this opportunity came up, and I was like. Okay. And that ended up just kind of like spontaneously biting the bullet. And I spent 10 months there. And, you know, outside of teaching, I also was like really having fun, I guess, and also exploring the nightlife over there because. Were you able to go to uh, Luxie? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Luxie, yes. man. <laughs> yeah. Like those clubs, I think Luxie's name changed already, but. I think they you know, did too. Yeah. So like all the Taiwan nightclubs and just kind of understanding even like nightlife and. Music is different over there. Dance music, um, still very much, you know, four on the floor. Whatever gets your one twenty, yeah, whatever gets your blood flowing. But you know, it's because the nightclub owners need to sell and make money. It's a business for them, so business comes first a lot in Asia, especially when it comes to this kind of stuff. And music kind of is secondary. A lot of times, they even tell you what to play and what you can't play. Mm -hmm. So it can get very complicated. It's a lot of politics out there. Did you ever play in Taiwan? No, I was just oh. having and then networking and making friends. Because at first I didn't know anyone out there, so I like hopped on like language exchange, like Facebook groups. Did you go? Yeah. Did you ever go on like say like a dating app and be like, all right, I got to meet some friends on here? Yeah, I did. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I think honestly that's like the go-to move. You know, when you when you're ever in a new country. That's the first thing you do, just to meet like random people. And the funny thing is, though, like I would be honest, like I was actually just trying to make friends, and they're like, "Bruh, <laughs> they wanted something more, Robert." Like, you're you just got, like, "No, I'm good." <laughs> you're full of like baloney, dude. You you got on uh, you got on this app trying to just make friends. You could have just like done it some other way, but I was genuinely like trying to just you know network and stuff. <laughs> because it was your first time older, right, in Taiwan. Um, because I know you said earlier, you said the first time you went was at four years old. What was the best way for someone in a new country to meet people? What was the best way for you to meet all these, you know, people in the music industry, these club owners or these fellow producers? I think that's a very good question. When it comes to networking, it's just really putting yourself out there and just talking to strangers. I know that sounds kind of wild, but I, I guess I was so open at that time to just really just meet up with randoms. And I believe that, you know, I, re I really also believe in like friends of a friend of a friend. So like it's like a three layer like tier kind of thing. 
you know? And I don't know. A lot of it was just straight DMing and just reaching out. If they reply, they reply. And if you meet, you got to do a vibe check. <laughs> make sure it's-, <laughs> it's like the mentality. You just got to shoot your shot, you know, just. Yeah, and make sure you're Go safe. Yeah, seriously. So I think that was my, my take on that. And, you know, just, just asking. You know, in Taiwan, people don't, like, because people are more protective and it's just mm. a safety thing. And probably personalities are uh, different. It's not like America where everyone just talks to you. So you got to have to really make yeah. effort out there. In Asia, from my experience, is you got to really initiate all the conversations. And if they are willing to, they will. If not, then it's, it is what it is and you just move on. Gio, would you say, it's, I was going to say, Gio, was it the same thing when you were back in Manila? I think it's, it's half-half because pe- Filipinos are really outgoing. Um, like we're really friendly people. So it's like when we're curious about something, we'll kind of ask you. But then when it comes to like a social standpoint, people are very clicky. Um, yeah. And it's hard to like break social barriers, especially in Asia, because most people don't leave their respective cities or countries. Um, so it's hard to kind of tell people like, hey, I'm like kind of new around here. Like, I don't know how to make friends type of thing. Um, I feel the same way whenever I go home, sometimes especially. Uh, but it just depends. Do you feel that way because you had like college, spent some time in, you know, Boston. And when you do go back, people kind of see you differently? Or why, why would you say that? I think it's a mix. I don't know. Robert, have you seen any of your old friends from Taiwan recently? Uh, whenever I go back, yeah, I definitely make an effort to meet up and connect and stuff. I think, you know, if, it's just like here. I think just people in general, if they're willing to make the time, they will. And if not, then you can kind of just, you kind of get it. Yeah, I mean, for me, networking was very much just asking, which is really hard though. You know, I, I might, it's easier said than done. Especially- yeah, just taking that first step because I think people are always hesitant to take that first step and think that the other person that you asked for help might judge the shit out of you but yeah. people like to be asked questions you know people like to be like oh you're actually curious about what i do how i can help and then you just easily open up yeah and that this this also applies a lot with like you know aoe right now i still get really nervous reaching out mm. you know even if it's through emails and stuff man and it doesn't matter my track record or who i've already interviewed every time it's a new person you never know and i still it's something i'm still constantly working on you know, like just control like your action and then just forget about the emotion part. What's like your, what's like your go-to line when you do reach out to a specific, per- specific person? Uh, I think what's really important is knowing what value you bring to the table. So whenever you reach out to anybody, you kind of, you know, obviously ask them about themselves. You want to be personal, right? You want to kind of be friends too. Yeah, it's business, it's work, but at the same time, it's so much easier in a way to do things with people you kind of know just more personally. I'm sure with between you two, right? If you two weren't like really good friends, this podcast vibe probably be a lot different. And the oh, way yeah, you guys no, are- we wouldn't be able to talk to each other. We'd be like, I don't know what to say right now. Like half the <laughs> yeah. time. <laughs> it would it would just be a little more tense, you know? And that's obviously something like it still happens and not every person I reach out to is going to be like happy to talk to me or vibe the same. Mm-hmm. And that's happened and it's okay. But you know, it's just about like, if we have a common goal, common interest, then just, just focus on that. Yeah. If the people don't click, then just, just focus on the goal here, you know, cause I've been watching a lot of, um, I've been watching a lot of Hell's Kitchen and Master Chef, <laughs> and like, 
the, I've just been learning a lot about like teamwork through watching that kind of show. And it's like, yeah, they probably hate each other, but dude, you're trying to serve, you know, the top level food. It's similar goal. Same thing with teams mm-hmm. and you know, AOE. I'm not always on the same page with Aries when we run our show sometimes. You know, we have our different opinions on how we should curate or move forward. But at the end of the day, it's like it's like teamwork stuff. Agreed. And so whenever you're thinking about like what who to reach out to next, how mm-hmm. do you even find these people? Do you just go on their SoundCloud and find their email and send them a cold email like a good salesman? Like, what even do you <laughs> say is like your opening lines? Like, I, I run this radio show on Dash Dance X. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> like, what do you say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the first, the, the definitely like in the beginning stages when we first started, I was so hesitant. And I got plenty of like non-replies, been ghosted plenty. And it's like understandable because it's like, okay, like who, who are you? What are you doing? All this stuff. But then that's why I said perseverance is very important. You got to just keep throwing darts, man. And hopefully, fingers crossed, one of them will stick, which, which is what happened. And the first interview I really had was like uh, an artist called Two-Tone Disco. He is active out here, like very, very like active in the tech space with VR. He runs a lot of VR dance music events and he was a DJ at Anime Expo. So like it was through that, like, cause I'm a passionate, like, you know, anime, gamer, nerd, all, all of the above. Nice. So I think that helped with him saying yes, you know, because it was like, okay, we both are kind of like in the same, interest space and through that like i got one and i was like yes we got one but you know <laughs> like we there's hope right and even that took a while you know that, that took like many months to even like get him to come through and do the whole thing i was very new to the flow of how we run this stuff and it was a, a lot of trial and error and then just over time um being resourceful <laughs> Being very resourceful, you'd be surprised, but I literally got all my um, reach out and connect all simply through the power of the internet. Hey, <laughs> technology at its best. Yeah, seriously, it's all up there somewhere. Like, if you really want to find someone's email or a contact, you know, work smart, but on top of that, obviously work hard, right? But definitely work smart. Uh, that's also another piece of advice that I got, you know, all the way back in high school from like my music teacher. Is like working very smart, finding the contacts, making Excel sheets, you know, get organized. Like, I don't know. I just did, I just do a lot of things that I, I don't like doing before, but I realize how crucial it is to have like organization and flow and just being resourceful, man. You got to ask. Uh, I, I hate asking, but I keep asking. Sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes you just got to ask. You just be like, hey, I feel like X, Y, Z, right? Um, and that begs the question, like, do you have to balance AOE with any, with any other, like, responsibilities in your life too? Yeah. Because um, I feel like there might be, like, a lot on your plate. And you sometimes you get overwhelmed. And also, how do you deal with that? Yeah, I think uh, it's very important to also take a day where you don't do what you do all the other days. It's kind of like a mental reset. So, you know, on top of this, I also help with, like, administrative work for, like, property management. And so it's very simple, you know, like maybe leasing, contract, tenant things. But, you know, on top of this, I think ironically or coincidentally, that's like kind of my off thing. 
or like music is my off thing from that too. So they balance each other out. So I guess I technically don't really stop working in a way, but because they're two completely different kind of like skill set or like uses of my brain, one's more creative and one's more just like, you know, systematic. Um, that's how I balance it. Obviously try to take a day off some, or like even like half a day off or at night, just, I listen to music every, every day, right? So especially dance music. And so what I do is I like to just dig on the complete opposite end and I listen to like R&B and hip hop and indie music. And that's how I can continue to listen to bass music every week nonstop without feeling like I'm sick of it. Funny thing too, Rob, we're, we're like, we're like, he's like right up the floor above me right now. Uh, so we're in the same room. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I did have a question, quick question though. When you did your interviews with like say Elefante and Kashmir, if I said his name correctly, I'm sorry. Um, was, were they all in person, Zoom or just like a general phone call? Uh, originally because pre-COVID, everything was actually in person at the Dash Radio like studios. So they have a, nice. a bunch of rooms uh, that are made for this. So you have to kind of plan ahead. You have to really make sure like, oh, they're coming in person, man. So you got to be on your A game. They show up on time. You got to get there early. You got to make sure all the equipment's good to go. And then you record it live or you record it. And then, you know, you take it back home and we fix it up. But nowadays, uh, ever since pandemic, it's all Zoom. And I usually do it with video just like this because I actually like to talk while being able to see their face. Um, but for the show, it's purely audio. We've considered going more video content in the near future. You know, I'm really hoping for the reopening of the office because they have a nice space and I, I really think I can like use it to my advantage. So, but until then, actually, you know, the silver lining to the pandemic and going work from home and digital is uh, there's a lot more people responding. <laughs> nice. You know, people are slowed down. People aren't really touring. They're kind of at a standstill, I guess, so to speak. You know, mm -hmm. just working on music. So now, once everything returns, get ready for so much amazing new music because I just know it's going to be like a renaissance, man. I strongly believe that's going to happen. You're going to hear so much music people are sitting on that they can't wait to play live. And it's, we're getting there. <laughs> yeah, you can tell because the live events are coming back now and the mm -hmm. vaccines are rolling out too. So like a lot of my friends are vaccinated. So it's yeah. going to get to a point where like, yeah, we can go back to live shows. Like people are like, guys, who's going to Lost Lands? And I'm like, yeah. oh my God, it's really happening, you know? So it's it's going to, I believe that it's going to be a renaissance too because I myself didn't pick up like producing until this happened. <laughs> I never thought uh, that I would make a song. So it's amazing. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah, yeah you know, yeah. Pick, picking up new hobbies is also very important. I think one pandemic skill that I picked up was like skateboarding. <laughs> nice. Oh, nice. I spent like I spent like a few months. I mean, obviously I'm I'm not active right now, but that was a, that was something I did spend like a good couple months like with Aries. We would like, we, we got a couple boards, you know, to get outside too. That was also our way to kind of like get some sun or get some fresh air, man. After being indoors every day, all day. So you mentioned like you picked up skateboard during the pandemic. Have you learned anything new about yourself during the entire pandemic? Yeah, I've learned that I'm pretty introverted. <laughs> <laughs> like an I, introvert, extrovert, or extrovert, introvert, or just straight up, I'm an introvert. I'm probably the most extroverted introvert that... That I that I believe I am, cause yeah, I think I'm. Or 
That's a good question, man. <laughs> I am the most introverted extrovert, actually. Because I actually really thrive off the energy of people. I don't get tired. But I am not, like, like super out there. I'm actually very low-key. Maybe it's, like, an astrological thing. I don't know if you guys, like, follow horoscopes or anything. But I'm a, yeah. I'm a, big, I'm a big Scorpio here. Mm-hmm. So, like, Scorpio are, tend to be really private, mysterious, and such. So... Yeah, I'm a you Pisces. Know. I don't know what Johnson is. What are you? Wow. Libra. I'm a Libra. Nice. Yeah. We're all different. <laughs> yeah. I'm, for some reason, always surrounded by Pisces. I think it's like a Scorpio thing, man. What? Did it actually? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I heard it's a good… You just attract them. <laughs> yeah, I heard it's like good com- compatibility in terms of friends and stuff. And like, I literally can name like 10 Pisces around me right now. It's ridiculous. Wow. Yeah, the majority of my friends are all like in that… Water signs, man. Let's go. Water, Water sign. sign. <laughs> I thought I wanted to be fire so bad, but it, it doesn't work out the way you want it to. Oh um, my god. Yeah, dude. So when when it comes to you know your whole your life outside of you know your your job as as an administrator, right? Um, mm-hmm. How do people usually react when you tell them like, yeah, I do this like radio station. Um, I like was a piano teacher. Like I'm classically trained. Like all that stuff. Um, do you think it like helps helped you in your life to this point? Yeah, I think the experiences that I pick up from, because they're all so different, you know, when you do music education and then you go into like broadcast media, which is like radio. And then now I'm kind of like in between, you know, handling a lot of press because of radio, like press and PR type work. And uh, before all this, like my interest was like psychology. I wanted to actually get into like social work and counseling, like therapy, you know, and... So like science was also a huge part of my life, um, and I think in a way you are still kind of incorporating those you know interests like, yeah. like you know your radio show like it's ther- music is therapy like I was listening to it earlier before our our show today and it was just very soothing and I was listening to your conversation with Cashmere and Elefante and just listening to that not set but like that interview just is very calming while yeah. we were editing the, our video for um, our new episode. Yeah. It's soothing yeah. in itself. It's like therapy in itself. How do, how do people react? I think people think it's really cool. You know, it's like interesting is a good word. Is this something they would want to do? Would they be like, oh, I wish I was doing that? Probably not. I don't know. Because- <laughs> I was telling Gio, I was like, I love the concept. Like you like incorporate the, the person you're interviewing, like their music and then in between you ask them a question and it allows the listeners to get really to understand where they're coming from, where these producers are coming from. Yeah. Not only like music wise, but also just their personal background. And it allows you to just get a full idea, full circle of who this person, who you're, you know, in listening to. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so like back to like Kashmir, right? What he said, one of the best things he ever told like me in the interview was that finding what your strengths are really, and for a lack of a better word, exploit it to your advantage. Mm-hmm. Really, like, you know, because every person's different, right? If you're just a really techie guy, then just do that and do it really well. But if you're like really social and you're just really good at networking, but not so much on like the techie stuff, just go network. And then everyone will find their way to where they want to get to if you just find out what your strengths are. It's very important because I see people that, you know, might think you have to be techie, but they're not. And you force that on someone or they they force themselves to do it. It's not going to work out, you know. So, like, I'm still trying to figure out what my strengths are. I think my strength might be that I am patient and I can listen to you. 
I can really like listen to someone talk for a long time. Which is why you're good at what you do for AOE because you're just kind of like, here's a question. Let's see what you can say back to me. And then you kind of <laughs> like you kind of it's like a feedback loop. You're good at making that feedback loop for the person that you're interviewing, right? Um, yeah. It just kind of helps you with the show and like how to do that too. And in terms of music, have you ever, did you like take any like classes or anything like that to like help you like pursue that? Yeah, actually in 2015, I went to a music production school called Icon, Icon Collective, mm. which is uh, pretty well known out here. It's in Burbank, which is like where all the studios are. This is a place where they focus on, you know, music production. They teach you the whole nine yards. And, you know, they've birthed a lot of artists that you probably know today, like Slander, Jaws, Keizo, Yotron, you know, all those. And I actually was able to, you know, really witness them there before they really took off and are like headlining stages now. I think without that experience, I wouldn't have the grit and like the just like naive blind faith that if you just keep pushing, it's going to work out. Because, you know, coming from the suburbs, like I was saying earlier, you don't really see that kind of stuff, you know, mm -hmm. and I think being in a city and in a place of like, you know, dreams, it's <laughs> like, you say it, but when you witness it with your own eyes, it's just like, all right, like there's no excuses. This is yeah. like legit. This is not like something people are just telling you as a cliche. So you kind of like pursued that musical dream when you were at Icon Collective, because I know you have to apply to get into Icon Collective. Right? Yeah, you do like a whole process with an interview and nowadays you got to like send them some samples of like your music and it's kind of like audition in a way. Um, they just really want you to, they just really want to see you have the heart. You need to be like 110% in it to really be able to go through that program. You can't just be like, I want to try it out. And like, you know, they, they don't want people like that. You need to like be all in or and or just wait until you're ready to be all in and then come. So, so then that's how why, you, how did I do it? Go ahead. So how did you figure out like when you had to, when you joined, right? What was the whole program like? Can you just describe like what you had to do when you were there and all that stuff? Yeah. Yeah. So when I went there, I actually had like very minimal knowledge of Ableton. Mm -hmm. uh, I've played around with like FL Studio and Logic. To be honest, I do wish I did more work and knew more before actually enrolling. Because I think I spent too much time uh, learning basics on my own, like through the program. I should have just been kind of like way more uh, kind of like seasoned, I guess, uh, of a producer and then going. Because then like, then they get down to the fine details. But like, as I was there, I was learning like the basics and I felt like it could have been uh, a better approach at that time. But you know, my heart was there though. You know, I, I was really trying to be the next like Zed. Porter Robinson uh, or Matt Zoe. Those were like my three top like influences at the time. And they teach you everything from music studio, like mixing, mastering, songwriting, uh, how to play the how to play the piano, like keyboard, how to read notes, and like how to write. So like things work in key. Um, and they also teach you business. Like because you know, as as much as you want to just sit there and make music. It's not going to go anywhere if you don't have like a business plan. And so, and it's the hardest, it's the least favorite thing for a lot of artists because they just want to make music. But the reality is if you want to be successful and make money from that, you have to know, you know, contracts and branding and 
all that stuff that tend to get into, you know, like people are like, oh my God, it's like record label stuff. I don't want to deal with it, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, it's the truth. It's the dirty truth. So what would you say is like the biggest thing that you got out of that program? Or how long was that program too? It's about a year, I believe. I'm not sure uh, how it is now. A lot has changed. They're expanding. They're actually opening, I believe, a business uh, school portion that focuses on people that want to become like artist managers and do that side of the work, which I think is incredible because now, you know, maybe you don't want to do music production, which was something I discovered after going there was like my passion kind of changed. I realized I'm not the kind of guy that can sit in front of a computer 10 hours a day writing music. But I respect it. I, I, you know, I probably know more than the average like music producer that doesn't produce, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think it's biggest takeaway from that is really mentality. I know it sounds corny, man, but you know, they teach you the power of now and like the art of flow, which oh, is flow. I know flow. Yeah. Yeah. That is so it, important. It's you very, should explain. <laughs> you should explain. Yeah, what, is, what is the art of flow? You should explain. From, from what I remember, right? It's like the art of flow is like, there is like this whole graph. And you have to stay within the graph of like, here's too easy. And then here's too hard. If it's too hard, you kind of like give up. Because it's like, and you can't like get into a state of like, oh, this makes a lot of sense and everything's clicking. So you have to like mm -hmm. be within like too easy and too hard. So if you're, once you hit like in between too easy and too hard, you're in a state of flow. Which means like, hey, I can like, you kind of just, everything just starts clicking and the gears start grinding. I think that's what I know the state of flow is. Yeah, thank you for explaining because I didn't know how to explain it. <laughs> I was like, when I heard that, I was like, wait, what does that even mean? Please, someone, one of you, either of you, explain I it mean, to me. Yeah, my, my take on it is, yeah, like kind of like being in the perfect state of, uh, how's the word? Like no resistance, yet you're not forcing it, you know? It's very like Taoist in a way. At, at so least just like, it, so we just yeah. you're just like in that mindset of everything that had, like you're coming to your mind and like whatever you're feeling at that instant, it just, clicks and it's just like everything just comes out super super easy without yeah. you even really like putting too much effort yeah it doesn't have to click it's more like you're accepting your current place in that point of time mm -hmm. you know with life even like it's kind of it's very spiritual you know like wherever you are whether you're doing great or bad if you can come to terms and accept that this is ex what it is right now and you're not you don't resist it i think for my experience because I used to be a very controlling person of every factor in my life. I used like, it has to be like this, otherwise my life's doomed. And then if things go off plan, I freak out. But then now I've learned to uh, be more adaptable with just being like, okay, this didn't work out, but maybe that was supposed to happen. <laughs> Sounds like <laughs> you, that... Johnson. So what do you mean? <laughs> I don't know. You, you used to, it's like a lot of like, oh, I want everything to work the way I want it to work. But sometimes mm. it doesn't go that way. Like you have a, a lot true. of times you have plans. Like most of the time, it will yeah. never work that way. Yeah. <laughs> no, nope. you're like I was gonna, I was gonna like eat lunch at this time. Probably not. Even something <laughs> as simple as that doesn't work out the way you want it to, right? So it's yeah. all about like that state of flow, right, within your life, where it's like here's too hard, here's too easy. Just try and find that like, because in between that is uncomfortable. And I think you mentioned that earlier when we were talking was the biggest part of growth was being uncomfortable and being in that state of flow is like the best area of uncomfortability because <laughs> yeah. too high is like crippling anxiety yeah too high is crippling exactly johnson too high is crippling anxiety too low is just 
aloof. You're a sloth. So yeah. it's just finding that midpoint. I think that's what we've been getting at this whole time, you know? Yeah, dude. It's, it's super, it's super lit. <laughs> it's super lit. <laughs> I, I ran out of words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but when, when you, because the big thing here is like, we're talking about East Coast versus West Coast. Yeah. How do you think that people differ between the East and the West Coast the most though? Because I know me and Johnson have talked about this offline and I know we have as well, but like, what do you think is the big difference between the East and the West Coast in terms of not just the mentality and the people, the whole culture thing, you know? Whole culture. Yeah, I think there's so many factors to come into play and I don't want to get like sociological, like sociological on it, on it, but you know, whether it's weather, I think weather is a big one. You know, weather, you guys are just, it's way colder over there. It's something the, the weather here in New York City is super bipolar. Like today is super warm. Tomorrow it's going to rain. The next day it's going to be like forty degrees. While like in Cali, you're probably just chilling at a good seventy. Yeah, and even that, I think that affects you know people's personalities. I think whether um, whether it's political, religious, or even lifestyle. So like I think there's way more history on the East Coast, right? Given like if we're going back, talking like historical stuff. Um, I think West Coast, we're here more. Okay, like there's a saying that West Coast people are warm on the outside, but cold on the inside. While East Coast people, they're cold on the outside, but they're warm on the inside. I so know. You're that, so you're essentially kind of saying like people are kind of fake on the West Coast and then they don't show their true selves? True. Yeah, and, and obviously, all right, whoever's watching this, this is a this is a massive generalization, okay? There's a lot of questions to this. I'm not how here to kind of talk down on nobody, on no coast. Um, but, you know, like, because LA, when you think of LA, you think entertainment capital, kind of, right? You think of movies, you think of things like that. Hollywood. So Exactly, Hollywood. So I guess you see more people faking it until they make it out here, right? And oh, then, I think I totally agree with you. I was talking with you offline, like New York City, people, if you walk, like people will literally tell you how they feel right to your face and they mm -hmm. don't give a shit. And like when you go back home, I was on Gio too. It's like sometimes when I go home, people will just look at you and not say anything. But you know, they, 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 they want to say something. They're judging the sh shit out of you, but they're not going to say it because they're kind of like, all right, I'm not going to say it because it might come off as, mm -hmm. you know, uncomfortable. So like my question, my question yeah. is, why do people on East Coast say it directly because it's out of love, right? I don't know like, if it's about love, I but I think, think so. it's more of like, <laughs> I don't think not. it's about love. <laughs> like, like, like during the pandemic, like I was with one of my roommates who, uh -huh. who like, literally had a pizza store and they literally just said something in our face and we're like, <laughs> like, well, I, mean, I, I guess, think that's love though. <laughs> I think, I think, and it's more just like raw authenticity. Like it's just mm. honest, right? It's just honest. Mm. I think you know, West Coast, we're slightly more image conscious and superficial. I, I would say that, you know, we have a lot of people that try to play rich here, mm. you know, then maybe on the East Coast, there's like old money, new money. So you have like maybe rich people trying to play more like middle class. I don't know if I'm right. I could be wrong. <laughs> I, I generalizations. Know. Generalizations. Yeah, yeah they're generalizations. <laughs> yeah, and, you I know, definitely here, I feel that. Yeah, and here like we're, we're more casual. We, we're not like in formal suits, even in workplace environments, right? East Coast, when I think of New York, I think of like Wall Street. I think of stocks, you know, and business. That's why, and like, so appearance is very important over there. Over here, man, you can't tell who is what. Some guy might look like 
He's just wearing like, you know, chill. He's wearing joggers and like Crocs and just walking around and like, dude, he's probably a billionaire. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I think even that, that's very different. And then if we talk about music, I thought about this question, you know, and if it comes to like music, hip hop, right? Because I'm also a big fan of hip hop. Um, When we're talking about music in the hip hop sense, East Coast is very lyrical. It's about, it's more gritty. It's more raw. There's like boom bap and stuff, right? And when you talk about like party music on the East Coast, it's about the ability to like MC a block party. That's what I think is what people think about East Coast rap. And then on the West Coast, we're more focused on song production, more about lyrical, rather than like lyrical content. You know, it's more melodic. You got G-Funk, you got like synthesizers. It's all about having a good time no matter what you're doing, you know, and it's the Wild West. So that's that's what I think is like also can just be expressed through music. You can even tell by music uh, that it's different. And I don't know, that's my two cents on that. <laughs> What's an example of two artists that you can juxtapose together that basically say like, here's East, here's West. Here's the different sounds. Just for just so that I can imagine it in my head, because I know you're describing certain types of music and sound, but I just don't mm-hmm. know what that, what what artist would represent that, you know? I mean, like Snoop Dogg is a very classic West Coast rapper, mm-hmm. you know. And then I guess um, East Coast rapper. There's a lot, but let me see. People, okay, like maybe Nas. Or Jay-Z. Jay-Z. Jay-Z versus Snoop Dogg. I know that's probably not really an ideal versus, but you can tell right there the styles are very different. You're not, you don't really see Jay-Z or Nas or, you know, B.I.G. doing music that's as, you know, like fun. Yeah, no. It's very hard. It's super hard. Like Notorious B.I.G.'s music is very hard. And then you compare that to to Tupac, actually. And it's, Mm -hmm. Tupac has a lot more like, it's a lot more melodic. Yeah. Like a lot and of the, it, the jingles. Yeah. There's a it, the jingle, like California Love, that's a jingle. Yeah. And then you think of like the Taurus BIG and it, I can't think of any jingles. Mm-hmm. I mean, right? yeah, he, exactly. So, and that is expressed through their life, you know, on that coast, right? You can, you can hear it. It's like, because music usually is like an expression of yourself that kept, that like you can't put into words. Right. That's why we make music is that is a way to express something that you can't really put into words. So when you listen to even just hip hop, I think is the best example, because that's what I know most Uh, in terms of like dance music. I don't think there's really a difference. I don't think so either. Everyone just loves uh, the the love is gone too much over here, too. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. If you're talking about music too, like Chicago and like Detroit, like with house music. You know, that was, that's definitely like where it comes from and uh, all that good stuff. And then Denver, Colorado is like the base capital. You know, if you oh, want. Really? Could, is that where Lost Lands is? Where, where is Lost Lands? Lost Lands is in Ohio, I believe. Why is it in Ohio? Yo, you're way off, bro. <laughs> that, I don't know. They're all in the middle, man. Whatever. Yeah. I'm not from here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's known like, you know, there's known kind of like cities, even countries. Like when you go to Berlin, you know you're going to get some good tech though. Second house. Yeah. So it just varies. And then Taiwan, Asia. Asia loves like trance or like trance or like Netherlands, European. Get the the pump and go. (laughs) Just like four to the floor, like 128 BPM and that's it, you know, and it's nothing. 
Yeah, Hardwell and uh, Dimitri Vegas and like Mike, David Guetta. You think yeah. of all these like old school people that like came up from like Tiesto. Like he does whatever he wants now. But like yeah. Tiesto's a good example of that too. Like they all produce house music. Um, mm. And in the US, you see a lot of trap music because there's a lot of hip hop influences here too, right? Mm. Um, like I know a lot of people on the East Coast like trap music. Uh, mm. Over like a lot of my friends at like EDM like trap mm. music <laughs> and dubstep mm. because it's so much. Yeah. It's like it's not the exact like foot of the floor like just one two three jump type of music. Um, Definitely the influence there though, you know. Yeah, and like the UK, you got to shout out the UK. I'm super influenced by like UK dub. Uh, I think that was before like what dubstep became what it is here in America. Uh, you know, we got some UK dub like Casper, Banga. I don't know. I can I can talk about this for for ages. Oh, probably UKF like, officials. Yeah. <laughs> UKF official. <laughs> Wait, what is that, Joe? What is that? You can't just drop it. Like, what UKF is that? UKF official is like a really big YouTube channel for like UK dubstep. Um, oh. Yeah, they they get like all these like artists that like produce dubstep in there. It's what I used to listen to in high school before all the other labels like blew up. It was like UKF official was where you'd find the dubstep back in the day. Did that, did that inspire you, Joe? No, because it was not my main genre. I don't even yeah. know what genre I should be producing yet. So I don't. I'm just in the fire right now because I used to be a DJ. So. Yeah. Don't think about it, man. I think just make music that you think sounds good to you or what you want to hear. Nice. I will take that to heart. You'll, you'll, you'll get to that state of flow, bro. I truly believe that. <laughs> <laughs> ah, we learned the lessons. <laughs> hey. Um, but with, uh, with that, Robert, uh, let's wrap this one up. Uh, do you have any last words uh, for everyone listening? Yeah. Uh, you know, first, thank you guys so much for having me on. It's been really fun to talk about, you know, these topics. Myself, my story… And last words, you know, if you're listening right now, hang in there. I know the world is very interesting, man. And please look out for one another and just educate yourself and have a conversation. Let's get uncomfortable, have uncomfortable conversations. Let's, let's practice, you know, peace, love, unity, respect. Follow us, <laughs> follow, you know, Gio and Johnson and the podcast. Follow Area Electronic, we're here. You know, we're Asians doing this thing. We're proud. Let's raise awareness and let's educate each other. Much love. And uh, yeah, that's it. Thank you guys so much.